Okay, Kobe, so despite the fact that this is not a story you particularly enjoy and it's not your favourite version of it, why don't you tell us a little bit about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? On a rare occasion you got to pick a movie, you pick a movie about a story and characters you don't care about. That's two and a half hours long, cool, okay. You know how to live, mate. <laughs> not insignificant problems aside, and Kevin Costner being like a, a human whiteboard, those things not aside, it's fun gone. <laughs> Why? Like, why was he like this, like sex symbol action hero? He's so bland. Hello, all. Returning for the second part of this special 300th episode, we have joining Flix Watcher today, Helen. Hello. It's Kobe. It's good to be back, guys. Thank you. And again, <laughs> as your special anniversary hosts, Martin. Hi. And Sam, that's me. And we are here today to talk about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Not many types, right? Prince of Thieves. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, as always, to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts or any way you listen to podcasts. It really does help. And you can join the conversation with us on Twitter, at FlixWatcherPod, or on Instagram, at FlixWatcher. Hello, film fans. We're back with FlixWatcher. It is, once again, myself, Sam, and my co-host, Martin, taking over the reins of the show to allow your regular hosts to pick their own films, not to be ruled by the, the whims of their guests. <laughs> so they get to choose the film they fancy. The guests today, therefore, are Kobe and Helen. Helen, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Hello, listeners. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. If you've been listening from the start as well, it's a lot of episodes. We've covered a lot of films and Netflix just keep changing it and adding more. So as long as there's films and, and guests who are willing to come on and chat with us, then we will keep going. I'm usually found on this podcast complaining about films that are more than an hour and a half long. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> and Kobe, what are you usually found complaining about? I'm usually found complaining about the fact I don't like horror, but then also liking some good horror. So that's kind of me. And if someone had said when we started this, how long do you think you'd be doing this podcast for? I would have said, uh, I don't know. If they had also asked, do you think you'd be doing it for 300 episodes? I'd be like, no. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's, <my time. laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot of episodes. Yeah, it's great to be here. We do talk about the fact myself and Helen are in a kind of really privileged position, the fact we rarely pick the films. And if we did pick the films every episode, it would be kind of stale very quickly. So, but it is nice to once every hundred episodes to pick our films. So I'm excited to talk about this one, I guess. Well, it's a, a pleasure for us to join you in the sitting in the guest host chairs. Myself and Martin, we regularly host the, the Song by Song podcast. Award-winning Song uh, by Song podcast. Indeed, that award that we won. Martin, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about that? Oh, it's just a song by song is a podcast about the music of Tom Waits. Every episode we talk about a different one of his songs. It's great if you like his music because we talk about his music a lot. <laughs> and if you don't know his music, it's a good way in. And also he's done a lot of films, it turns out, for a musician. He's also kind of somewhat of an actor. You can dig into a back catalogue and find some of frankly very good films he's been in, like Ballad of Buster Scruggs and mm -hmm. Fisher King. And then some of the not so good films he may not have heard of that are nevertheless still kind of curious and worth a yeah. watch. 
As long as you didn't say Bram Stoker's Dracula in there, because that's top tier. And I think that's where I knew Tom Waits first. I didn't realise that he was the singer. I just knew him from, from that film. He plays Renfield. Who's now? Who's been playing Renfield in that Nicholas new? Holt. Um, Nicholas Holt. Nicholas Holt. Right, right. So yeah, he's he's like a, a young old Nicholas Holt of that. So <laughs> if you don't know his work, just picture that. <laughs> That's really confusing. <laughs> I'm not sure about my own podcast now. We have also been doing our show for a ridiculous number of episodes. Yeah, I was going to uh, ask. But we've done over 400 songs Ooh. now. We've done something like 40 films, 350 releases plus so uh we're nearly done guys we're nearly done so last year so tune in this year to get them fresh otherwise yeah it- join us with some confidence that we will stop at some stage <laughs> in the relatively yes. near future yeah but we always know what we're talking about obviously the songs of tom waits have been laid out for us very clearly but what was not laid out for you was the film we're going to discuss today kobe it was your pick why don't you tell us a little bit about the film we're going to be watching and also a, a very strict 60 second synopsis please yeah, this is a film that was kind of everywhere when it first came out. And I'm trying to think, was it just the song that made it everywhere? Because that film was like the whole of, the, I can't remember what year it came out, but it was the, it was the whole year, wasn't it? Number 91. one, 91, which is kind of insane now that it was a film, you know, a song was like there for half a year in the, in the ether. And I realised as I watched this, that most of the films I remember, most of the parts of this film I remember were the bits used in the music video. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yes, 100%. Which, which made me think, how many times did I actually watch this film before this rewatch? Um, certainly once, I'm sure, but were there just fractions of other times? I don't know. It'd be interesting to discuss and see what your guys' thoughts are on that as well. I like picking old films that I haven't seen in a while for this because it's, it's kind of good to see where your head's at now versus when it was when you first watched it and what you thought then versus now. And I think this might yeah. be quite an interesting one for discussion on that point. I mean, you've been beating around the bush, Kobe. What is the film? What's the name of the film? The film is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah. Should I get ready for the synopsis? Yeah, I'm ready to go on the count of three. One, two, three. Synopsize. So this is one in an umpteenth number of tellings of the fable, the legend that is Robin Hood, who lived in Sherwood Forest with a bunch of merry people. Perhaps not my favourite iteration of Robin Hood. That would be Maid Marian and her merry men. And Robin Hood's quite interestingly a character which I'm not particular interested in. I don't think I've run out to see any of the other films made of this character. So you know the story is a guy comes back from somewhere, robs from the rich to give to the poor, yada yada yada. This time it's got Morgan Freeman in it, which is unusual for the story and retelling. Well, there are a few beats in this film that are common to all of the tellings of this myth, right? Like mm, he's up, he's in the Crusades, he comes back, King Richard is still off at the Crusades. His brother, King John, is a baddie. Sheriff of Nottingham is his local emissary. He's a baddie. And Robin falls in love with Maid Marian and she's captured. And at some point he rescues her. And He knows how to use a bow and arrow really well. He's really good with a bow and arrow. Yeah. that's and, that, so, and then there's a few like characters that come in. Like there's a quarterstaff fight with Little John, who's a big guy with the quarterstaff. There's a, that tends to happen, doesn't it? Yeah. There's drunk fire talk that turns up. It hits a lot of the beats of the, the myth that I was taught as a kid. Is he always an anthropomorphic fox? Or is that only some of the time? <laughs> oh, I think you've watched the wrong film. Are you on Disney Plus? This is oh, not Disney no. Plus Watcher. Oh, nightmare. <laughs> Why doesn't Kevin Costa have a tail? <laughs> okay, Kobe. So despite the fact that this is not a story you particularly enjoy and it's not your favourite version of it, why don't you tell us a little bit about <laughs> Robin Prince of Thieves. On the rare occasion you got to pick a movie, you pick a movie about a story <laughs> and characters you don't care about. That's two and a half hours long. Cool. Okay. You know how to live, mate. <laughs> 
it's a, it's an opportunity to revisit like your, your youth when you when you pick old films. So it's kind of, it's interesting because I love it when you come back and you see an actor and probably the first time you've seen them and now they're in a different stage of life. And I'm not talking about Kevin Costner. I'm talking about Morgan Freeman here. Who, whenever I see him in film now, I'm like, damn, this guy's amazing. And this is probably the first film I saw him in. I, did, I didn't realise, I think he's great in this film. He's the only black actor in the film. And the, I think the, in all of Robin Hood films, stories I've seen, or probably, well, sorry, Barrington, of course, in Maid Marion and the Merry Men. Yeah. They kind of lead into that. They kind of lead into talking about wenches and things like that. And, you know, there's kind of light, lighthearted allusions to making fun of sexual assaults in this. So it was, it was very much kind yeah. of like of the 90s kind of... We should talk about that. Kind of the 90s kind of vibe, wasn't it? And I think it's still called, it kind of holds up. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that don't watch it. I don't, you know, I wouldn't put a warning against this film before it because I think it's kind of of its time. It's slightly quaint. It kicks up. I think it's better in the second half than it is at the, at the end, at the start. Strongly agree. Yeah, I think it gets more interesting. I remember Alan Rickman being better in it than on Ooh. this watch. It's still, it's still an interesting performance, but I don't know. I thought it was very pantomime on this rewatch. I mean, it's all he's got to work with, isn't it, really? I mean, it's either... <laughs> like, he can't go subtle, he can go big, or he can go boring, and he chose to go very big. <laughs> I mean, the story is that he chose to go bigger than the film required, that he got friends to uh, punch up the script so he could yeah, be silly. Maybe Wax was one of them, yeah. Yeah, maybe Wax worked on the script. Yeah. It's an interesting take. Martin, how about you? How does this stack up to your experience of the early 90s? That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> Less stoned than I remember. No. <laughs> I agree with Kobe. I think the first half is a little slow. And there's there's various things you can sort of pick on in terms of like, they've made attempts to bring it up to date a little bit, but largely failed. I mean, they've got like a black character, but he's sort of like meant to be Persian or something. So, you know. He's a Moor, which is, yeah. So he's like a, a, like Arabian, but then they, they don't really specify where these crusades are happening at the beginning of the film that you meet this character and, you know, and, and he's a sort of in the life debt to Robin Hood. And that's, you know, that gives us this sort of interesting buddy characteristic. Maid Marian, when you meet her, is sort of badass and a ninja and like basically bests Robin until he, you know, manages to finally over, overcome her in, in combat. But by the end of the film, she's completely passive, like not only not showing off any of her ninja skills, also just sort of standing there while the Sheriff of Nottingham's about to like spear him with the sword. And like the best she, best she manages is like, hey, over here! You know, like there's, she, she could have clonked him with a, I don't know, a candlestick or something. Anyway, so that's interesting. Like there's, it's a sort of like a slightly watered down attempt to bring the story, make it relevant for modern audiences. That said, it's pretty fun in places. There's some rugby problems that uh, Kobe has alluded to, like the wedding night. Alan Rickman trying to have sex with Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio mm. against her will in the middle of a wedding ceremony. It's sort of played for laughs. It's so ridiculous. I didn't feel that offended by it, but once you actually start to think about it, it's really fucked up. So don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, like lots of the, those not insignificant problems aside and Kevin Costner being like a, a human whiteboard, those things aside, <laughs> it's fun bomb. <laughs> why? Like, why was he like this like sex symbol action hero? He's so bland. Like the best he can do is just sort of speak lines up like in this constant soft voice. But he was in like Dances with Wolves, JFK. Like these were all huge films. He's just forgettable. Anyway, well, he wrote and directed Dances with Wolves, I guess, so he can he can get a pass for that. 
Did I direct? Oh, he directed that. Oh, okay. Because yeah. because apparently the only reason he worked on this was that one of the I think second unit directors for Dances with Wolves was attached to this project, and he was like, "I'm not interested." And then he found out this director was doing it, and he was like, "Oh, cool." He's also called Kevin. I think Kevin Costner was like, "Oh, if it's another Kevin, I'm like, it's like I will only be directed by Martin Scorsese." Um, <laughs> so then the rules. I don't make them. I've got no. It's a chance. generational thing. All the Marvel films required everyone to be called Chris. In the '90s, it was everyone called Kevin. Next, next. I mean, I'm hoping for some big. Pro- profile Sam's to help me get some work in Hollywood. Sam Mendes? He doesn't return my calls anymore, sadly. <laughs> Helen, how do you feel about the human whiteboard starring Robin Hood? So this this is my first time watching it. Holy shit. <laughs> I have not seen this film before. Oh. I have seen Brian Adams performing it 16 times for the, the 16 weeks it was number one. I think sometimes, I think it was mostly the video, maybe. Was it only 16 weeks? Yeah. I mean, that is a long time. For some reason, I just thought it was like the whole year. <laughs> yeah, six, it's the longest ever number one, oh, 16 yeah. weeks. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, I think as they were like, Top of the Pops went on and on, they just shortened and shortened and shortened the video because it's quite a long song. So I kind of felt as though I'd seen a lot of it. It's very hammy. I don't, I don't know what I was expecting. There's so much ham in it. It's like there's more ham than the ham aisle. There's so much soundtrack as well. It's overpowering amount of soundtrack going on. Yeah, I agree. The first half is a little bit slow. Second half is much more action orientated. There's a couple of like funny bits. So Mr. Whiteboard, <laughs> I was going to say, maybe it was him swimming in, in the lake, but that wasn't actually Kevin Costner. It no, was a stunt double. So indeed. it's not even his arse that you get to see. What? No, That's it's not. That's the only reason I watched that this film. not Kevin Costner. <laughs> I wasn't immune to, I, I wasn't like Kevin Costner blind. I was much more of a bigger fan of The Bodyguard rather than this one. So that's... Oh, yeah, that was another huge movie. Yeah. Massive. Huge soundtrack, yeah. And there's some really, really funny bits in it. Like there's a bit in it where Christian Slater, who's in it and he's very American, he's very cool, bro. And when they fly over the thing, he says, fuck me, he cleared it, which is clearly <laughs> not, not how they spoke in the olden times. So there's moments like that, which are completely hilarious. And you're just like, what is going on in this film? That's another ad lib. The Christian yeah, Slater, yeah. fuck me, he cleared it was a, was a joke uh, for the director. They left in. Yeah, and then there's a funny bit where they jump off a wall and land on some hay. <laughs> no, isn't that the same one? Where they, where they, no, they clear it and then two separate ones, okay. Yeah, the hay happens quite early on. They jump off a wall and both jump on a bale of hay. It's just really funny. And then later on he gets catapulted. They both get catapulted and that's the, the he cleared it. I mean, it. Land in some different hay. <laughs> yeah, it's a riot, isn't it? Alan Rickman is just in a different film. <laughs> a better film, arguably. <laughs> <laughs> What do you make of the Christian Slater revealing that's his Robin Hood's brother? I don't know if that's, is that Will Scarlet Cannon? And how does that make sense? I I was like, what? Oh, (laughs) and then one more thing. that was quite good. Sean Connery's in it. (laughs) Secret Sean Connery though, right? They didn't tell anyone. Who's this then? Oh, it's Sean Connery. It's Sean Connery. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a riot. I'm truly shocked, Helen, that this was the first time you watched it. I saw this for the first time six months ago um, <laughs> uh, when uh, we decided to... What? How did you escape it in the night? Is it... No joke. I watched Robin Hood Men in Tights instead and having gotten the Mel Brooks interpretation, I felt no need to go back to Kevin Costner for the original source material. So was that Carrie Elwes and who played... Uh, 
I've forgotten a lot of the rest of the cast. I remember I remember Carrie Elwes being a big Princess Bride that fan. comedian who, who always does anti-trans stuff now. <laughs> oh, Don't ruin my entire childhood, Kirby. Come on. <laughs> Um, just all googling who was in Robin Hood. Yeah, I'll let you. Uh, oh, Dave Chappelle's in it. Dave Chappelle, yeah. All oh, right. Uh, oh well. Well, <laughs> well, that's not the film we're talking about anyway, so it doesn't matter. I was also a huge fan of Maid Marian and Her Merry Men, and I have a slightly greater affection for Kevin Costner because I think that Field of Dreams is one of the most genuinely moving pieces of cinema that I experienced from my young childhood. You're the first Brit I've heard say that. Mate, it wrecks me. I mean, Martin knows that I am very easy to make cry. So, you know, you need to be careful what films you talk about. Stay away from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and Oh There, God, It's Me, Margaret. Yeah, there's so many films that I need to stay away from. Ideally, I should just be locked in a room and not experience any TV. We decided to watch this with my daughter about six months ago and is arguably not age appropriate for her. But we had a really good time. I think Everything you're saying is absolutely right. Like it's anachronistic in all sorts of ways. It is very pantomime. Alan Rickman's performance is from Mars, whereas the rest <laughs> of the film is from Venus. And uh, there's an awful lot of stuff that feels very rooted in this era, the early 90s era, or arguably the late 80s era of action filmmaking. But that said, I found that there were a lot of things that really charmed me. And the main one was Morgan Freeman and the idea that in 1991, you've got this character that is presented as the outsider, scare quotes, the outsider, and is presented as a more considered, more moral, more capable, smarter character than everyone Mm. else around him. I thought there's a really interesting central message inside this film that the whole idea of Robin Hood and this idea of English exceptionalism as represented by the Crusades and this moralising and the attitude of Christianity is fundamentally nonsense. (laughs) Even if you've got like an American portraying at the beginning, like one of the first scenes when Costner's like basically volunteers to get his hand cut off is when he says this is uh, English courage and then immediately pulls his assailant off guard and gets his hand chopped off. So basically, like, English courage is inflicting terrible (laughs) violence against an Arab nation. It's sneaky. Very, very odd, very strange politics, and but kind of silly and charming enough for me to, like, ride along with it while it makes fun of itself as well. Maybe, Maybe that's not entirely how it was intending to present itself in original release. If with that, Alan Rickman, it's fairly lighthearted. You've got like Mike Machane topping up as Fire Tuck and being a really, that's a really fun performance. Yeah, there's a lot of fun, fun performances in this, I think. it's it's. I don't think it takes itself entirely seriously, even though you're meant to take Kevin Costner seriously as a sort of hero and romantic lead. He's sort of bumbling in places. Like he's sort of yeah. shown as capable in some directions, but also like a spoiled rich kid who's like <laughs> gone away for a gap year and then comes back like really turned on and, you know, concerned about political issues, man. <laughs> Helen, you went straight to Sean Connery, but you missed another cameo, which is at the top end with, in Brian Blessed, who didn't, wasn't, it was, was not allowed to bring oh, yeah. Blessed to the film. Why did they suddenly cut a section of Blackadder into this film? I was really confused. <laughs> Quite restrained, I thought, for him. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't think I'd, I'm sure. Just kept the kept the other Kevin. The director said, "No, you can't be. Don't scream, Gordon's alive. There's no need for that." <laughs> <in the film." laughs> Rain it in, Brian. <laughs> 
one that we talked about Maid Marian and the Merry Men. I'd, I'd like to get your guys' opinions on other depictions of Robin Hood. But one actor who played Snooker in Maid Marian was actually in this kind of, uh, as Camille played a character called Hal, who was in the uh, stocks at the end, one of the people who was saved. And he was, he was there and he didn't get, I don't think he got many words, but he got a couple of words to say. Oh, that's interesting because I spotted Howard Lou Lewis, who plays Rabies in Maid Marian. Oh, was he Rabies? Oh, who's Snooker then? Oh, he doesn't get anything to say. In oh, is that what you thought Snooker was? Yeah, sorry, I, I, I missed. I missed him. Yeah, so so Rabies then. That's completely right. Yeah, yeah. And interestingly, like Maid Marian does predate this by a few years, so it's a strange, <laughs> it's a strange order to cast that person in. <laughs> well, like I said, I think my main exposure to Robin Hood is the Mel Brooks version, which is arguably backwards yeah but i think probably baked into that is me viewing the whole story as a little bit silly and paired with maid mary and her merry men where Mm. in that story robin hood is a preening buffoon (laughs) whose (laughs) reputation is entirely unearned and everyone else around him is doing all the hard work i think i mostly see this story as anachronistic in any way he's not a folk hero in my mind he's kind of a um a bit of self-aggrandizement in some ways how about you guys though for some reason every time i think of like robin hood on film i think of russell crowe even though i haven't seen the ridley scott he just kind of looks a bit more what i think robin hood might look like when he's standing next to kevin costner I don't really know if that makes sense. I think this is kind of what I mean, because when that film came out, and there's been another one since then, I've just had no interest going to watch them. And I remember when this came out, it was kind of billed as a serious Robin Hood. And when we watched it back, you're like, no, this is... This is pantomime. In the same well, way, compared to Errol the- Flynn, who's the like the iconic yeah. like 1950s, 1960s Robin Hood in Hollywood, right? And in a similar way to when I rewatched Batman, Michael Keaton Batman, I remember going back to thinking, I remember this being like a really hard edge Batman, but no, that's that's pure pantomime <laughs> from start to finish. But obviously compared to the Adam West one, it, it's not. So in comparison to these Errol Flynn and the other ones, I think that's where it's coming from. Well, I think Robin Hood is a parable, isn't it? It's a sort of, it's a story about heroism and about how these people can join together and overthrow injustice and oppression, you know. I mean, the, I guess because of the time it was written, it's like, well, we overthrow the bad king and get the good king, you know, so that's like, uh, it doesn't quite ring true to me. But in terms of like telling that that parable of like, here are a bunch of people who have no weapons and no training and this guy, by setting an example of courage, can bring them all together to overthrow tyranny. That's quite a nice one. But I really like, I just want to say really quick, I really like the Ewok village. And I think, like, if if you view it as a kind of, and and as I say, they've made some attempts to try and bring the parable up to date by making it a little, yeah, in terms of representation of women and non-white people, it's a little token. But they have they have tried a bit to bring it up into the nineties. Yeah, and if you interrogate it very deeply, there's all sorts of problems with it. But as a kind of a romp and a parable, it, it works works pretty well. It's sort of weird to be like, the best thing about this film is an incredibly hammy performance, but Alan Rickman is so fun. And the scenes he's got with Geraldine McEwen, who plays the witch, his, his mum. Like, there are, so, there are scenes where she's, she's like holding a dead, like, animal and like tr- <laughs> desperately trying to regain control of the scene. And they're both just chewing the scenery. But it's really fun. And I think if it was just the sort of very, like, you know, doughy-eyed Kevin Costner, I don't think he's bad in this. I just, I don't, just don't quite get the appeal. Like, if it was just him, if it didn't have that sort of ridiculous pantomime quality in the in the humour, it would it would be a, a less fun film. Just be a set of set pieces. It's interesting to think that most people will know Alan Rickman for Die Hard, which was from nineteen eighty eight, a couple of years, three years earlier. 
And in that, there are big hammy moments, but mostly mm-hmm. he's quite a credible image of like violence and danger and, and threat. And to a certain extent, I feel that he's able to trade on three things in this role. He's able to trade on his image as the stereotype of the British bad guy. He's able to trade on that diehard performance, which is an extremely strong and very visceral demonstration of that. And then he's able to go as big and silly as he likes, knowing that he's got those other two things like in his back pocket, as well as Geraldine McEwen as a frankly terrifying like villainous sidekick. Yeah, yeah. But he looks amazing. It's also like I was wa- watched this with a group of people we came around, uh, who came around and we watched the film together. And like Alan Rickman looks super hot in some of those scenes like he's got this really like figure hugging like stuff going on like when he's kind of moving around and sword fighting he just looks beautiful like he's <laughs> funny and hot it's great well uh, uh, kevin costner did apparently pick up on that and wasn't entirely pleased that he kind of took this role and ran with it and <laughs> ultimately that is what most people talk about when they talk about this is it's what they remember from watching it as a kid is how kind of crazy the two performances were but out of the gulf that is there it's the Rickman one that people look back with real fondness on I think. It needs the connective tissue of like a real story like it needs a straight man to be a hero as well like it wouldn't work if it was just Alan Rickman being wild-eyed and mm. cancelling Christmas and killing people with spoons. But yeah. in that context, it's, it is rightly remembered as a really fun performance, I think. So what, what is it about the second half, guys, that we liked so much? Because I don't Fire. know. The explosions were quite incredible. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Happens? It's, it's, there's so much setup, isn't there? There's a huge amount of setup and foreboding and like, oh, it's terrible what's happening to England because of this guy. And then it's. I think it's really in the second half that Rickman starts to become comically villainous rather than just like, a bit of a douche. <laughs> that takes off. And then there's a lot more action with, you know, I think the Will Scarlet thing is a nice little plot point. Like, why is Christian Slater like constantly negging Kevin Costner? Like, oh, it's because he's a half brother through an illegitimate thing that, and you, and you even, there's even, like, they even plant that early on. They're like, oh, yeah, when my father remarried, I made him give up his wife because I was such a sport little brat. And, right. And then, and then you find, so this is more happens. It's not all just like, here are all these characters. Here's this scene. Here's 15 characters. Okay, we're going to kill a couple of them, but here's like 13 characters you have to kill. There's, there's a bit where he fires two arrows in one go. That was cool. Yes. Yeah, the archer he comes in really late, right? Like you see him sword fight and you see him quarter stuff, but you don't know that he's a really good archer until like an hour or something in when he starts yeah. starts training them, the, the other Ewok. Until the montage. Until we get the montage. <laughs> Here's how to make an arrow. Here's how to shoot it. Yeah, that's all you need if you are, you know, playing an uprising. The the one bit from the first half that I did miss was the uh, relatively early death of Michael Winkert's yeah. uh, Guy Gisborne. He was great. He's really good, right? I really mean, good performance. It was a real shame because he was both doing, he was doing everything that Rickman's doing, but he was also very incredibly dangerous but also vulnerable and weak and i was sort of sad that he didn't make it through to like the climactic end because mm. um, it's creepy like you sense a, a character i mean you really get the sense of a character driven by his own cowardice and bullying and that's a really interesting conflict because he's like he's a nasty dude but like he also will run at the first when he feels like he's not gonna he's not gonna win it's yeah. good good and, and also a bit of characterization <laughs> And also, Mary Elizabeth Matter Antonio is given slightly more to do in the first half. I mean, yeah. or at least when she shows up, she's given more grit. She's given more personality. She's given like independent thought. And then, as we move through to the climax of the film, she falls much more into that. She just becomes a damsel in distress. distress, exactly, which is disappointing. The thing that I wondered was whether 
you thought this looked like a blockbuster. There's an awful lot of stuff where people are wandering around in forests and various out-of-work jobbing actors are holding staffs and going, yes, I agree, no, you shouldn't fall in the river, all that kind of thing, where I went, this looks incredibly cheap by uh, some standards, mm. even with the Ewok village being uh, set on fire. <laughs> and it was only once we got into the castle where I went, oh, here's the production values, here's the scale of what I think of being a Hollywood like mainstream action film. I agree with you. And also when I was watching it in this version as it's shown on Netflix, I thought it was very, very murky. Yes, possibly. I didn't, I was like, this, is this just a VHS copy that was just kind of scanned and put on, onto Netflix? This is, and I think that's the first time I've ever... I thought about that whilst watching a film. This is going to probably play into a small screen score yeah. uh, later on. But I do agree. It does. So there's, there's a few ways that it notches up in production value, in action, in explosions, in just things fr- being super frenetic towards the end. And yeah, Robin Hood's shown how to shoot a bow and arrow to save his half brother's life, which is that is a really good action set piece that kind of finalizes and caps off that kind of storming of the whole guard. And it's like a heist movie as well. You got little John taking part, little John's wife. Like transferring the knives over, the climbing the thing to get to the place, to the jump into the hay, and then to spread the knives out to people. It is, it is. It's very satisfying, isn't it? All that stuff. And, and how it goes wrong as well. It had a budget of 48 million, so it wasn't like a cheap film, by all means. Not at all. But it became the second biggest grossing film of 1991, so it took nearly 400 million. Have you taken, have you, what was the first you, you, Terminator 2, Terminator isn't it? Two. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's, right. Yeah, that's yeah. fair enough. That's fair enough. Absolutely fair enough. Yeah. I think it is like a weirdly useful document of its time. Like it's it's a manufactured big budget Hollywood blockbuster, right? Like it's intended to take in big grosses. They put in a lot of money. They they plan this to be a big deal. And as a result, you see all of the fingerprints of what Hollywood thinks is a good idea at this time. And whether it's mm. <laughs> human whiteboard casting or whether it's like the sexual politics of the era or whether it's letting Alan Rickman do exactly what he wants and bring <laughs> Ruby Wax to a pizza hut to rewrite the dialogue. Like this is like an example of how the film industry is working at this time for me. I also just to obviously t- we need to talk about the score. We need to talk about the main song. Oh yeah. And the melody of the song is in the film all the way through. Yeah. And I did, I was like, is that how they do that? Is that how they kind of seeded it? So you watch the film and then you, then you you hear someone singing along to the melody afterwards. And then those two together make some kind of explosive mix that is like the best combination of how to monetize a film at that time. But it was, it was there all the time. It's just like, yeah, I don't I don't know the story of the, I don't know the, I guess when I'm getting to the point, I don't know the story of the song. Like, did the song come afterwards or did the song come before? And they were just given like, here's some notes. You Can you make a song based on this? Well, I wondered. I mean, the place that it really pinged out was when Marion first kisses Robin. Yeah. And you get not just the song, but you get a little line of dialogue where Marion is telling Robin that he has to do all these things for England, for the king. And he says, I won't do it for any other reasons. I'll do it for you. And I was like, that's a great bit of brown synergy. Yeah, (laughs) I would do anything for love. I would do anything. No, hold on, that's too confusing. (laughs) But I thought that's a lovely bit of like writing synergy. And I did wonder which came first, whether that's script writers going, let's shoehorn this lyric into it, or whether that's (laughs) Brian Adams picking up on the uh, (laughs) little bit of dialogue. 
Did you guys buy the buy the single? Absolutely not. I bought the Men in Tight single. Was that there was Men in Tight single? Hit. No, of course there wasn't. <laughs> of course there wasn't. I didn't buy the single, but my dad had the album, so I listened. So was is this a is this a Brian Adams album or is this a Robin Hood Men in Tight album? Yeah, okay. it was the Brian Brian Adams album. Okay. <laughs> oh, interesting. So interestingly, it says that the Brian Adams song is based on the instrumental love theme written by Michael Kamen. Yeah, um, really. There we go. So John Michael he, Kamen, who also did the Karate Kids soundtrack. He's done a load of stuff, Michael Kamen, right? Like he was quite a big soundtrack writer in the late 80s and 90s, I think. But yeah, like, so he'd obviously heard the theme and then written the lyrics. I don't know if he would have seen like a Rushes of the Film or what, but so I don't know whether he took the lyric from the, the script. Is this an anti-needle drop then? Is it literally like the opposite of mm. putting down a song in a film? It's picking a song up off the cutting room floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can I have this? <laughs> Do you need that that, that line of dialogue? Because I could I could repurpose that. <laughs> well, one of the songwriters of the song, Robert Lang, which you may not know him, but he was responsible for the Shania Twain album, Come On Over. He wrote a lot of songs for that. Oh. Is that a film that contains that don't impress me much? Yes, it was that one. And he's also written stuff for Britney Spears. He's like a producer, right? He produced like everything in the 90s. Every rock record that you can, can think of, like his name would, would pop up on as a producer or a mixer or something like that. He's really huge. So am I the only person that bought the single then? I think you might be, Kobe. <laughs> yeah, sorry. sorry <laughs> I'm sure it's there. My parents gifted me the, we had like a small vinyl collection box, well, vinyl box for, this, for the singles. And it's at my parents' house still, I'm sure it's still in that box. So if, if I do uncover it, I will post it on the chat, on, on Instagram or, or Twitter to prove that I bought it. You you seem really shocked at the small number of weeks it spent at number one. I was wondering how many copies of the single you <laughs> bought over the, <laughs> the span of time. Once. It's 16 weeks. It's a long time. That is, it's the number uh, one. Oh, it's There's insane. Nothing, it's, has, it, nothing it, has beaten it. Are you, are you where, saying where, where 16, one six, or are you saying yeah, six, zero? Six. Okay, right. Where, where, where it was 14, I think, with Love, Love Is All Around, and nothing nothing's come... When you're Houston. How long did We Don't Talk About Bruno stay at number one? <laughs> <laughs> Because I listened to Radio 1 and they were tired of playing that song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I I don't know. I just, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. (laughs) At the time. I love the song. Netflix, you know, normally Netflix, you watch the end of a film and then it cuts off the credits and plays you some trailer for a film you don't want to watch. Played the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I got to sing along to the whole song. I really enjoyed singing along to it. Finally, that, that feature song. on Netflix pays off. That's the worst feature of it. <laughs> it's got great guitars in it. It's great. I just remember hating it so much at the time. <laughs> it's so it's so middle of the road, and it, it was just everywhere. Also, it's it's a cacophony, like it's everywhere. <laughs> it's a hand on heart ballad, Martin. You don't like ballads? It's fine. It's like. It's like Kevin Costner's face. <laughs> it's fine. I don't mind people liking it, but it's not for me. Before we move on to the scores, anything else that people want to touch on? Martin. I just want to say something very quick about Kevin Reynolds, the director, because mostly he's directed really rubbish films like Waterworld. I mean, I guess probably because there's... Oh, man. Waterworld, we can't get into Waterworld now, but uh, I would love to get into Waterworld now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a good blank check episode on Waterworld. Yeah. All right. 
we'll, we'll, I'll meet you there. <laughs> so most, most, most of the films I don't, do not plan to watch, even under the auspices of a podcast. But he did direct, his first film was a film called Fandango from the 80s, which I really like, which is a, a story of set in 1971, a bunch of college students who were like graduating. And they get drafted for Vietnam and they decide to take one last trip across America before they get sent off to fight. And it's really good. It's a, like a small kind of character-driven story and has some really great moments and totally at odds with everything else I know about his later film career. But yeah, go uh, go check that out. Or should we uh, get into the decimal points? Get into the scores. Let's oh do yeah, it. Right. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have included fellow Stripped Media family members Martin and Sam from Song by Song, and Kobe from Flixwatcher, and Dave from The Wire Stripped. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast, or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. We return to the patented Flixwatcher scoring system. How's that patent paying off for you guys, by the way? Are you getting many residuals or... Like every day. Post. Every I day. Mean, managing to nail down scoring things out of five. I'm really impressed <laughs> that you managed to do that. There will be scores for... Hosts. I feel I've gone so far. It's my last opportunity to appear on this show. Get my money's worth. We're going to give scores out of five, each for recommendability, repeat viewing score, the small screen score, engagement score, and an overall score based on those. Kobe, as this was your choice, why don't you start us off with its recommendability? I am super... Like flabbergasted the fact that Sammy hadn't seen it before six months ago and Helen hadn't seen it before. This is, I, for me, it's just like, whoa, this kind of means I, I think I need to have a high recommendability score. <laughs> you need to do this together. a lot earlier, but still. Yeah. So I'm going to go uh, 4.5 because I, <laughs> I don't think I watched this more than once as a kid. I think it was just the song that carried me through it all the time, but I had a laugh at it. And I think a lot of people will also enjoy it. And, and typically when you watch something later in life that was like big, in this heyday, I'm talking like Princess Bride for Helen, like Midnight Run for me. When I watched them well after, they were, it was kind of their peak. It's kind of, what's, what's the fuss about? But it's interesting to see that both Sam and Helen were like, yeah, this is it's a bit of a romp. So for that, I think 4.5, we'll give it slightly higher than I thought I was going to give it when I, when I first started. Fair enough. Helen, how do you feel about The Prince of Thieves? We must be like the last people on earth who probably <laughs> should see it. <laughs> I don't know who I'd recommend it to who hasn't already seen it. And I don't know. It's, it's a weird one. I think with... But well, here's the point. I would have thought everyone had seen it, but this is clearly not the case. Most 50% of the people hadn't seen it before this year <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> if that's representative, there's, there's literally billions of people out there yeah, who exactly. are Robin Hood Prince <laughs> I feel I am an everyman in this context, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's just really hammy and really silly. Watching it with like 20, 23 eyes... I think it was a bit better than I expected. The first half was pr- pretty slow and then it kind of gets a bit more fun when there's a bit more action in it. You know, and Alan Rickman is really fun in it. So I think I give a, a 3.7 for recommendability. 
Martin, how would you recommend Robin Hood to people? Well, I mean, as we sort of touched upon, but not dwelled upon, there is a scene of attempted non-consensual sex played very much for laughs in a very pantomime style. If that's something that's going to piss you off, that's entirely reasonable. Don't watch this film. And there are some slightly iffy politics, but generally it's pretty rewatchable. I'd say three. I mean, I wouldn't say rush out to watch it, but generally it's an entertaining diversion. Don't rush, but wait until before your 42nd birthday. That's the, that's the vibe <laughs> I'm getting. I had a good time with this. This was something that loomed large in the public consciousness, and I was really pleased to get around to seeing it. I found a lot to enjoy and clearly recommended it sight unseen for my <laughs> nine-year-old daughter as well. So I can't really go too low based on the evidence in front of me. I'm going to go 39 I think it's uh, Martin's caveats, notwithstanding, I think that there's an awful lot that people would have a good time with in various directions. As a general rule, I wouldn't recommend films with a PG rating of the in the 80s and 90s to nine-year-olds if you haven't seen them. Fair enough. But because there's a lot of stuff in those films which, which doesn't pass muster nowadays. Kobe, I've made so many mistakes <laughs> as a parent already. Really, this is the least of anyone's worries. Apparently, um, James Furman, who was the head of the BBFC in the 90s, said that the greatest yes. regret of his career was passing as a, as a, as a PG. <laughs> it's such a strange thing to say. I mean, the marital sex, the dead chickens, like which part? Like Christian Slater word? saying, fuck me, he cleared it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but that was cut, apparently. That was cut. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, there was yeah, no didn't he say adopt as like, blimey? Blimey. blimey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's some oh, versions where kids would have seen this version. Yeah. The idea that I was robbed of the chance of seeing Christian Slater saying, blimey, like <laughs> a, a low rent Dick Van Dyke. I, really I, do love those, I love those poor 80s and 90s dubs. He does do a funny English <laughs> accent in Austin Powers, doesn't he? He does. The Sherbet thing. Oh, yes, so he's been practicing Sher- it. This the is Sherbert arguably husband. a better English accent Sherbert. than he does in, um, than in Austin Powers, but... Again, different show, different topic. Moving on to the repeat viewing score. Kobe, how would you rate this? Given that I don't actually know how many times I've watched this previously, (laughs) I'm not sure I can give a proper answer. (laughs) Accuracy of your own memory score. (laughs) It's just merged so much with with the top of the pop viewings of the the music video. But I think, well, what's this again? Maybe another 10 years. I don't think I need to watch it again so recently, so soon after watching it this time. I think I've got everything I needed to out of it again. I should have watched it when Alan Rickman died. That would have been the time to go, oh, I want to, I want to kind of recap and see that. So maybe as Morgan Freeman and or Kevin Costner pass away, I might, I might think. <laughs> that, that's, that's, sorry, that's what I wanted. <laughs> So what's that score? I mean, I don't know how to interpret that as a number. That's a 2.1, 2. 2.4, 2.4. 2. 2. <laughs> Helen, as this is your first viewing, will you go back to this? No, not, not, <laughs> not even if any of the major players pass. I mean, I watched seven first before. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. <laughs> not you, Martin, with a nervous disposition. But... Uh, <laughs> You can watch March of the Penguins. That's a... Sure. <laughs> okay. I'll watch Shawshank again. Yeah. I mean, that's not... Come on, that's... That's pretty, that's pretty bleak. Everyone in this has got much better films that you could be watching than watching this again, so... Apart from Kevin Costner. <laughs> Martin. I, I mean, he's quite... I, I still Superman. like The Bodyguard. It's got great songs in it. Yeah. I wouldn't, yeah. You know, that's, and... That's what I thought. Yeah. JFK is quite fun. 
<laughs> watching watching Kevin Costner listener uh, Kevin Costner listen to a fourteen minute monologue is more entertaining than this possibly. <laughs> yeah, a one, I think. Oh dear. Martin, I, I hesitate to ask, how many more times will you watch this whiteboard of a man <laughs> shoot out of this? Well, I mean, that's a different question. I think uh, in terms of rewatchability as a g- general score, I would probably give this like a 3.5 because it was quite a nice party film like for people to come around and be like, I can't believe they just, what? Are they doing that? Really? And that was, <laughs> we had a fun time. We had a real fun time. So yeah, like I, I can imagine getting together a group of people, especially people who had watched it for a while, wanted to watch it again. Yeah, so it is reasonably rewatchable. It's a decent, like it tells a good story. That's always worth yeah. coming back to. Yeah, 3.5. In anyone your watch party not seen it before or had everyone seen it before? I think everyone had, but maybe not since the 90s. Oh, decades ago, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not since millennia. <laughs> I clearly have established a pattern where I will rewatch it every six months. So uh, <laughs> tough not to give it a five. No, I, I think I would. I've established the pattern. I will rewatch this every six months at a minimum. That's important to maintain standards. I think I would watch this again. I think I probably will in various ways, shapes, and forms. Because it feels like while it's not the greatest film in the world, it also is sort of a classic of the era. And like various people have said, there's lots of elements to like. So I think I'm going to give this a solid four for oh, a wow. viewing. If, if for no other reason than when it was suggested as Kobe's 300th episode idea, I went, yes, I will repeat view this. So uh, I'd be a <laughs> hypocrite to give it any lower. Moving on to the small screen score. Kobe, how was the aspect ratio for you? <laughs> Well, the aspect ratio was fine. It was, I think it was a murky print, unfortunately. I didn't see this in the cinema when it came out. I would quite like to see this. felt quite jealous of Martin's uh, watch party of it, actually. I thought that would be quite way, quite a fun way to do, actually. So for me, I think it'd be quite nice to see this in an open-air cinema in the summer where it's kind of a way you don't really need to pay attention that much as well. You can just really enjoy the bits and just be having a bit of a chat and natter with your mates and the sun's going down. So... I think it's actually quite a poor small screen score. I think it'd be better in that kind of experience. And also I think it'd be quite fun in this Prince Charles cinema as well. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to give it a 2.8. Helen, how did the screen size affect you for Robin Hood? I mean, this is like one of those classic VHS movies to me. Like everyone like had a copy of it probably taped off the TV rather than buying it properly. So I think for me, it was fine on the, the TV, home TV experience. So a five. Martin, how about yourself? I mean, you watched this on a projector as well for your watch party? I did. Yeah, it's quite a visual film. It's sort of like lots of action set pieces and beautiful locations and Seven Sisters down in Sussex. And it's not Sherwood Forest, is it, where they filmed it? But yeah, there's beautiful forest locations, beautifully villages and castles and, and all sorts of things. So I would say it probably is a bit better on a big screen. I wouldn't, I don't think I would particularly enjoy it on like a phone. So. But what was the collective viewed experience for you with with the watch party? Was that did I make it? Did I elevate it for you? Oh yeah, yeah. The collective viewing experience was great. But yeah, I don't think it would have worked if we'd all clustered around an iPad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna. I think this is more of a bigger screen. I mean, like a big telly, but definitely yeah. not a phone. So I guess what is that like? Two point five. Like sure. Sounds fair. Sounds very fair. Uh, I found myself really wanting a bigger screen, especially for the second half or rather the final third, the climactic, you know, final reel with all of the plot threads coming together and lots of fighting and slow motion arrows on fire and all that kind of thing. So I was a bit sad, really. Arrows on fire, yeah. I mean, arrows on fire. 
Uh, yeah. We didn't talk about the fact that the Sheriff of Nottingham hires an army of Celts, Celts. from the extremely nearby <laughs> Scotland, presumably. Well, yes, we didn't yes, mention... Scottish people drink the blood of their dead. I've heard that. One person told me that. Possibly Ruby Wax gave me that information. <laughs> and we obviously, Hadrian's Wall is but a hop, skip and a jump from Sherwood Forest. But then they all get murdered and then he brings in a bunch of English archers with flaming arrows to burn down the Ewok village. So I don't know why he bothered with it. Anyway, listen, we should have talked about that earlier. Um, the small screen score though, while I enjoyed it a lot and while I agree with Helen that it's a classic of VHS, I think it would be significantly better, particularly in the second half, on a larger screen. So I think I can't give it more than a two. And finally, for engagement, Kobe, how did it grip you? Because it's almost like watching it from new again, I was kind of waiting for the key bits, kind of the key puzzle bits to slot in versus not remembering other bits to fit in. I was pretty like tightly in with this from, from the start. It seems like the Kevin Costner not knowing what a, uh, sorry, Robin Hood, not knowing what a telescope is. I don't uh, think Kevin, Kevin Costner knows either. Yeah. <laughs> That's just documentary and, footage. And then getting an, a sword out to like stab these people who suddenly appeared close. I was like, what is this like Morecambe Wise bit that's happening? <laughs> small, far away, small, yeah. come on, far people. Now that I can see them close. Scream's going that fast. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a, that lost his incidental bits as well. Like I didn't remember that Men Marion was a ninja when she first started. And her maid of, her maiden waiting was quite an interesting character as well. There's lots of these little bits, yeah. bits and pieces, which were kept it kind of tooting along at a decent pace. And then it just, did like a hockey stick curb at the end with explosions which are unnecessarily large for the time but still make for a good film so yeah give it 4.2 i was in there i was really enjoying this helen how was your engagement for this one i mean i enjoyed it i mean i got all that in whilst also reading quite a lot of stuff about wikipedia and about kevin costner's stunt double i wasn't that engaged it, the first half is quite slow a lot of things just felt very very stretched out so i i'm gonna give it a two for engagement i i enjoyed it i had fun but you don't need to sit there with you could easily be having a party and chatting with your friends and having it on and still know what's going on without watching it properly <laughs> <laughs> you could enjoy this without having to watch it gotcha <laughs> martin how did it hold your attention I like it. Yeah, same. I felt the same. First half was a bit slow. Second half was pretty fun, quite exciting towards the end. So I think I'll probably average out to like pi. <laughs> 3.14. How many places? How many we, we can get to five. That's, you know, 3.14. 3.14. Uh, no, no, two, six, five, four on that. No, you don't want to go any further. No, okay, um, yeah, I didn't think it deserves it really. Hold it back. Hold it back for other scores. I found myself genuinely engaged by this both times that I watched it in the last six months or so. There's a few elements that really catch my attention. I don't disagree that it gets quite slow. I'm really charmed, impressed, engaged by the portrayal of all of the scenes with Morgan Freeman. Yeah, some good scenes with Fry Tuck, for example. Well, so these are the one I was going to talk about. When he performs the C-section for Little John's wife. Funny. And at the end, and, and Friar Tuck is like, this is a terrible idea. There's this lovely scene where they come out and Friar Tuck says, although I may think I am godly, I am not worldly. And he totally like, it's a rather beautiful little scene where this quite pompous character admits vulnerability and failure and ignorance in the face of this, again, this, this image of the quote, 
other, the outsider. And these little moments, as well as the big climax, really did grab my attention and go, this is a very interesting film. This has got all sorts of bits that really do catch my attention. Admittedly, there was also an awful lot of very boring fluff and walking around and talking about pompous things that lost my attention equally. But I think I'm going to give it a solid four again, because every time every time I thought it was out, they pulled me back in. <laughs> So totting up all of those scores, we are brought together with an overall score of 3.22759. Oh, thank God. I thought we were going to score it higher than the Irishman for a minute. That's like, that <laughs> is just fair. That would be an injustice. There's very little threatening of uh, cutting anyone's heart out with a spoon in the Irishman, despite <laughs> Martin Scorsese's wow. greatest intentions. I can see Al Pacino playing that show from Nottingham character. <laughs> <laughs> I had a funny story actually about where that hoo-ha comes from. You got you got 30 seconds for a little Al Pacino yeah. story? Sure. A friend of mine went to dinner with him, part of this fancy sort of like tour that he's doing, and they got to hang out and that thing. Apparently, one of the stories was that he had heard the Ura shout as one of the things that Marines, like uh, it's a, a shout of acknowledgement. And particularly when they're doing that, like the technique for, according to Pacino, anyway, the technique when you're cleaning and taking apart and reassembling a rifle. And it was something that people used to shout. And so he just decided to do it on a whim on one take. And it became like the cornerstone of his entire career, which... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you've you got to be careful what you say on screen. It really uh, can take over a personality. Which, which film is that in? Is that Sense of a Woman? Yeah. I think yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Terrible film. Uh, yeah. It's not good. <laughs> Maybe for episode 400, you can you can move on to that one. <laughs> right. Let us head over to Twitter then and see what the Twitterati think about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Kobe, any uh, you want to draw our attention to? Yeah, so this is from Amelie, the only Clear Luna, who says, uh, one of our family staples when I was a kid, I had the soft spots for the film. Love Alan Rickman as a villain, obviously, and love the three main male actors too. So just throwing some shade on Mary Elizabeth uh, Mashantoni there. I, you can't think of the film without mentioning the You can't think of that film without mentioning the illustrious Brian Adams here too. And we, we mentioned it plenty of times. Did she give a score? She gave it three, at least three stars when prodded by Helen. There's one that's coming quite late here from Reese Hayward, who says, "Impressive how he got from he got from Dover straight to Hadrian's Wall, utter drivel, one star." It's really <laughs> funny if you look at the IMDb page for this. There's so many people complaining about like historical accuracy. Like he says, "We'll be in Sherwood by dinner time," but yet they go from Dover to Hadrian's Wall back to back to. And it's just like <laughs> the temperature required to smelt the metal necessary. Oh, no, to yeah, <laughs> If you're looking for historical foundry information, do not go to Robin Hood's Prince of Thieves. This is not a factually accurate film. It's a romp. A later Kevin Costner film obviously posited that the entire world was covered with water. So clearly geography is not his strong suit <laughs> in any way, shape or form. I did take a pause of that smelting of the, of the metal. There's like, what is that gallium? I don't know what is, what is that. <laughs> They're making arrows out of mercury. Some people were like, oh, it could have been tin, but then that wouldn't have been very, very hard. Anyway, this is like, come on, guys. Obviously, it's nonsense. Like, and, you, and they're casting it in wood. Would that even, wouldn't it just burn out? Big smelter be... community. Very interested. 
it would be sharp anyway. It wouldn't come out sharp. <laughs> yeah, like what's the point of having a metal if it's a soft metal? Because it's not sharp. Yeah, it does make they a sharpen wood. it afterwards. There's a whole shot of them sharpening it. Didn't you notice that shot? Yes, I know. But it would just it would bend the arrow if it's a soft. Anyway, Sam Inglis, 24 FPS UK, says loved this as a kid, but now it's really obvious how miscast the human whiteboard costner is. Sorry, that's me. <laughs> Still a fun watch though for Rickman Freeman and for the entirely practical action scenes sam when he was 10 would have given it five out of five no question but now three and a half out of five so still very solid i think that's a good point actually the this was a time when like cgi action wasn't really th- i mean i guess the same year as terminator 2 right that's the beginning <laughs> there's no cgi in that at all <laughs> no it's that's just robert patrick in a really shiny suit <laughs> he's a, do you know he's a contortionist and it folds down really quickly yeah, exactly. But that that is the beginning of like CGI action films. I mean, yeah, no, there were there, CGI existed before that, but that was like the a big one because it was like 110 million dollars or whatever, like huge CGI film. James Cameron, obviously, a huge champion of CGI. But like before that, you wouldn't like you it would all be practical action scenes, and uh, they're really good. They're really good practical action scenes. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of Robin Hood. Many t- no Robin Hood the Disney which one made Marion and her very unhappy men. <laughs> and and also the end of this uh, special 300th episode for Flix Watcher. I've really enjoyed coming back on the show and also getting to yeah. do all of the bits of uh, text. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to that. mighty people. That's all I wanted to do in my entire life. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Yeah. Thank you very much for being the, the co-hosts, taking over the guest host for this episode. And everyone who's listening, if you haven't heard Sam and Martin before, do head over to Song by Song Podcast. It is a fabulous podcast. Helen and I have been on it a while ago. So if you want to segue in, then go down your podcatcher, type in my name, type in Helen's name, and you can get to those episodes. The best episodes. Some would say. Some would say. Very good. Otherwise, there's a lot there. And and I should say, each episode is pretty short as well, typically. So you can get a lot of bang for buck. We try and keep it focused. Uh, yeah. <laughs> five or ten minutes per song you can't no 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 i mean you know a, a two hour film two and a half hour film there's lots to talk about yeah three minute song i mean you know how talking interesting for, talking for an hour about a three minutes song does feel would feel slightly self-indulgent yeah. so we try, uh, and yet we've done it so many times <laughs> <laughs> oh, messy 20 minute episodes some of the films are, are, long, are longer because there's because films are longer than songs it turns out that's that's how it works no but it's been it's been lovely to join except for that brian adams song which feels like it's uh, two and a half hours long <laughs> uh, it's been a treat to chat to you though good luck with the next 300 guys we'll uh yeah, see you again in a few years clock in in episode 600 thank you so much cheers guys <laughs> bye bye, bye. bye. Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flix Watcher Pod on Twitter and we're at Flix Watcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Rockwood Audio's editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood Audio. Tell them Flix Watcher sent you. just heard a stripped media production.